church. I want to invite you to have a seat. And as you do, I want to dismiss the, the more vibrant portion of our congregation this morning, Hubtown Kids. Hubtown Kids, Blue Station and Gray Station, so three to five years old. You'll be exiting to my left. This is what we call organized chaos. Gray Station will be exiting to my right, uh, age uh, six years old up to fifth grade. What are they going to be learning this morning? They're going to be learning that God is glorious, that God is glorious. God is infinitely beautiful and great as we see his attributes on display. I want to just draw your attention as we hear the, the last little bit of the echoes of the children leaving. I want to draw your attention to a, a, a device that we use here in the church to kind of help you to celebrate what God has done. It's an extension really of the loop. Now, the loop's how you stay in the know around here, and there's some important information in there. But once a month, we put out what we call the beacon. The, the church has done that for many, many years, and it helps you to keep up to date with what, what God's been doing. There's some really cool stuff in there, a recap of what took place at Vacation Bible School. And uh, as well as a highlight, uh, a deacon spotlight. And uh, the deacon spotlight for the month is, is Micah Shadden. So I want to encourage you to take a look at, uh, at that. Be, be looking at that. And if you see Micah, you might give her a high five and a hug. She does a great job serving uh, King Jesus and the brothers and sisters here that call Hagerstown Church home. Uh, she does a great job serving us there. So yeah, if you see here, make sure that you give her a high five. If you've got your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews been saying that uh, for some time now. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be finishing out the great hall of faith this morning. So that's chapter 11. And if you're using the black hardback Bible in the seat back in front of you, which I encourage you to do that this morning, uh, to treat that Bible like it's your own, you can grab that Bible and turn to page 1196, and we'll read verses 32 to the end of the chapter to where we see that big 12. Before we get there, let me just, by way of introduction to the sermon, ask you a, a thought-provoking question. And if you're honest with me and you stand with me in my honesty, uh, you might be a little bit embarrassed, but I think we've all been here, we've all done that. What am I talking about? Well, have you ever started a task, only halfway through the task, you forgot why you began that task? Maybe some of you have done that even this morning. What was I doing? Why was I heading to the, well, where am I heading to? I don't even know. Maybe you started driving, but you forgot where you're going. You made several wrong turns, but then you thought, well, is it really the wrong turn? I don't remember where I was going. Maybe you found yourself, husbands, wives, you found yourself in the middle of an argument, but you couldn't really recall what had started that argument and why you were so impassioned to win said argument. We've all been there. We've all done that. Maybe even uh, as we've begun this book study of the letter to the church, the, the Hebrews there in the first century, maybe you're like them and you're saying, I, I don't really know what the point of this book is. Maybe you're just showing up halfway through the study. Or, or maybe you've been here from the beginning, but you've slept a few times since we started this and you're asking the question, why are we even doing this? What's the point of Hebrews 11? What's the point of this extended look, this, this field trip that we've taken to the Hall of Faith? We've walked together down this hall, and we've looked here at Moses, and we've looked over here at Abraham, and we've seen their great deeds of faith, and we're asking now, 
what was all this about again? Who, who is all this about again? Well, that's really what today's passage is about. Hebrews 11, verses 32 to 40, help us to recenter and really segue into chapter 12, setting us up for a fantastic uh, exposition in the following week. It's going to be a great sermon. I can't wait to preach next week's sermon, but I'll just preach this week's sermon. He's reminded us this morning, why are we taking this extended look at these heroes and maybe even failures of the faith? Well, to get the answer to that question, let's, let's actually read it together. So, I want you to follow along. It'll be on the screen. Again, you can use your copy or the black hardback Bible. We're on page 1196, starting in verse 32. This is what God's word says. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all these though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Let's pause and let's ask God to bless the reading of his word. Father, again, we just stop. And we announce our dependence. We confess it to each other, to ourselves, and to you. God, through prayer, we demonstrate our dependence on you. We need you to work in our lives this morning. Father, we need you to point out where we're weak, where we're failing in faith. Father, where we need to repent, where we need to be encouraged. God, what we need to believe that we haven't been believing. And God, we ask all of these things not thinking that we're condemned, but knowing that in Christ you love us and that you'll answer this prayer that we've prayed. We ask it, Jesus, in your name. Amen. I want to give you the main idea if you're taking notes this morning. It'll be on the screen for you. The main idea that I think is really coming to the surface of this text as we turn this diamond of the faith chapter, the idea is this, that faith is looking past your present circumstances unto the future promise of Jesus. We've talked a lot about what faith is not. We've talked a lot about faith, what faith is. We've looked at great examples, and today, just to tie it all together, we need to be reminded that faith is not just some abstract 
thing that God has called us to do, but faith is saying what? It's saying we don't just believe God exists, but we believe that God has said something and we believe the thing that he said, and God has positioned for us today Jesus. And he's calling us to look past everything we experience, whether it's a blessing in your mind or a curse, whether it's a mountain or a valley, whether it's good or bad, to look past what we face today to the face of Jesus. That's the main idea, looking past your present circumstances under the future promise of Jesus. Now, Look there in verse 32. We'll start working this way. And I'll, as we work through this, I'm going to point out three sub-points, three more observations of faith. And the first one I, I want to point out is, 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 is sort of rooted there in verse 32. I love what this writer, this preacher says. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of, and then he makes a list. It's easy for us to forget that the human writers of Scripture were human writers of Scripture. We forget that these guys had deadlines. They had calendar, calendars to follow and, and uh, dates to meet and, and planes to catch. Or maybe not planes, but certainly ships. I can imagine the writer of this letter here as he's writing down his sermon to be delivered to the the Christians there in Jerusalem likely he's saying I've run out of time guys the plane is really about to leave the ship is about to sail and I don't have time I had planned to talk about all these other guys and not just Moses and and uh, and 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 Abraham and Sarah and the guys we've talked about, he's, I wish I had more time, but really, time has failed me. We, we've got to keep on moving. And he's saying, furthermore, I've, I've sort of already made my point. I've already given you enough of an example here. Now let's just move on. Let's, let's get to the main point here. Maybe he's saying some of you have forgotten. And, and what is he really racing us towards? What is he beginning to speed up towards? Well, this first observation that I want to give you this morning, he's racing towards, and that is that faith is looking unto Jesus. Faith is looking unto Jesus. Christian, you and your life, we, maybe you're a new Christian and you think, I, I, I've been called to have faith, and I know faith is believing, faith is trusting, and I don't really know what that means, but I'm trying to have faith because that's what I'm supposed to have. Well, to have faith is to look unto Jesus, To have faith is to say in the circumstances that I find myself in, I'm going to look past them and I'm going to look unto Jesus because that is what God has called me to do. We've talked about this again repeatedly. Faith is not what? It's not believing in God. Faith is, wow, we've got got more work to do. Faith is believing God. What has God said? More Importantly, what has God said about Jesus? Well, remember at the very beginning of this sermon, not today's sermon, but the sermon that we've been studying, the book or the letter to the Hebrews, there in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, on the screen for you now, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has spoken to us in these last days by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, for the sins of the world, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs." We can gather so much from those first four verses in regards to Jesus, but there's two things I want you to see. The first is that simply Jesus has come with the message from God the Father. What Jesus has said is what the Father has given him to say. Hebrews is not the only one that tells us that. Jesus repeatedly through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John says, I'm telling you the things that the Father has told me to tell you. The Father has sent me. He goes on to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've heard me, you've heard the Father. Furthermore, I love what the Apostle Paul says of Jesus. There's so much there to unpack in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and I wish I could take the time to do it, but I can't. Now, however, you could do some more studying this week on the, the, the context and the circumstances surrounding uh, 2 Corinthians 1. If you've got some time this week, and you do, you could check that out. But there in verse 20, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him, who's him in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. There's so much to be said there. One thing I'll just pick off the top there is is there at the end. That is why we utter our amen to God for his glory. Teenagers, you say, "Why why do we always say amen at the end of our prayers? Why do we do that? Well, amen means it's true. Believe that. I believe that. Amen says I'm receiving that for myself. I'm going to claim that. It's true. And it says here that is why it is through him that we utter our amen. We pray through Jesus' name. We say in Jesus' name we pray amen. That's not just a cool thing that people have said for a long time. We heard grandma say it, so we say it. No, we pray in his name because we believe that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus. That when we come to the Father, we meet him in Jesus and we bring our need and Jesus through, or God through the, through the Son answers our requests. And we pray according to what we've been taught of Jesus, what Jesus has said about himself, and we come to him and we say, Jesus, we need purification from sin, which is exactly what was told us in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He made purification for sins, and after that he sat down, having finished his work. Furthermore, past purification of sins, what has God said about Jesus so much? So much that we have peace with the Father through Jesus. Some of you, you'd long to have peace. Even Christians here this morning, you're saying, I don't feel as if I have peace with God. Well, the scriptures say that when we call out to God in the name of Jesus, asking for peace with the Father, that we receive it, the answer is yes. We have purification from sins. We have peace with the Father. The scripture says that our joy is restored 
in Christ. And that's just a few of the things that the scriptures have told us about Jesus. What is faith? Faith is believing what God has said about Jesus the Son. Faith is believing and looking to Jesus. That's why we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. We'll look at this more in depth next Sunday. But we'll glance at it today. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since... We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. All the people that have been enumerated and listed off and alluded to in chapter 11. Since they're surrounding us, it says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We do all of those things. Why and for what purpose? Because we are looking to Jesus, verse 2 says. We're looking to to Jesus. We live our daily lives by faith. And what does that look like? It looks like us looking to Jesus. You may be thinking that with all these stories and with all these examples, Jesus is just getting lost in the crowd as we look at all of these other guys and all these other ladies of faith. If that's true of you, I want to I want you to hear what's being said so clearly to you this morning in chapter 12, verse 3, that we are to look unto Jesus. And that's what all of these other people were doing. To illustrate that for us, we're given this sort of idea that we're finishing a race, we're, we're running. Imagine running a race, Christian, and that race ends in this great Colosseum. And as you enter in through that hall and you begin to come into the center of that stadium, you look to your left and you look to the right and it's innumerable. How many people are cheering as you run into the stadium? And they're not just cheering for you. Yes, they recognize that you're there, but as you look to the, at the faces of those on the left and way up in the stands and to the right, way up there, you see that everybody's not looking at you, but they're looking at something out in front of you, something that you can't necessarily see as clearly as they can because of their vantage point being a little bit higher than yours. And you wonder, what are they staring at? What are they looking at? What are they cheering at? Well, these who have finished the race before us, so to speak, and are now gathered in the stadium are not cheering for you. They're cheering for Jesus. They've run their race. They're looking to the one who has completed his race also and is now in the center of that stadium. We look at the eyes of David. And we say, David, I see him in the stands. He's right there. He finished this race a few thousand years ago, and he's not looking at me as I run into the stadium. He's not looking at you as you run into the stadium. He's looking past all of that, and it, he's looking to Jesus. He's looking to Jesus because Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises that God gave to David and to David's people. It's all fulfilled in Jesus. And you look past David, and you look on farther down, and you see Abraham and what's Abraham doing? Well, Abraham's not looking at us. He's not looking at the entrance to the stadium. Abraham also is looking at Jesus. The scriptures say, Jesus himself says, Abraham saw me. He finished his race. He was looking unto me. He saw me and he celebrated. 
And time would fail me, it would fail us this morning for us to go down the list and to talk about Moses and how Moses said, I'll stand with Jesus. I'll stand with the reproach of Jesus. I'll, I'll receive that because that's who I'm looking at. I'm looking past all this great stuff that I could be experiencing here in Egypt. As you run into the stadium, brothers and sisters, nobody in that stadium is looking to you. Nobody's looking at the ground. Nobody's looking at themselves. They're not looking at each other. They're all looking unto Jesus. Why? Because that's what faith is. Faith says, believe God. And what has God said? God said that all of his promises are fulfilled for you in Jesus. Now, before we move on to the second point of faith, I want you to notice just a few observations first. Look at that list, starting in verse 32. Now, it's, it's tagged on to a, a long list of other people from, from all the way back in verse, I think, 5, or maybe somewhere around there, of people who were in this hall of faith. I want you to notice something in that list. Do you see perfect people listed there in verse 32 and following? I don't. Some of you this morning might be wondering, like, is, is, am I able to be sort of added to this list? Am I sort of considered in this list? Am, am I one day going to be a part of this great cloud of witnesses? I don't know if I can be. I'm not a perfect person. I don't have perfect faith. Well, let's just t- take a few really quickly. What about Gideon? Does Gideon have a perfect track record of faith? of always believing God, always having pure, confident trust in God's promises? We don't have time. Again, time has failed us this morning. The answer is no, he doesn't. How about Barak or Barak? Was he perfect? Was his faith flawless? No. No, he couldn't even do what God had called him to do at first. And God had to raise somebody else up to help him. What about Samson? Did he have great faith? He sure did. Was he a perfect person with perfect faith and perfect obedience? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, he did die in faith in that final moment of his life, but he had gotten to that place because of his sin and because of his unbelief. We could go on, David. What about David? Surely not a perfect man. What we see in this list are stories of faith mingled with failure. And the highlights are listed for us here today. Lest you think that you are not able to be on this list, recognize this, that this race is not about your perfect faith. It is about the perfect one in which we place our faith. We have faith in Jesus, but we don't get this accommodation We don't get the reward because our faith is perfect. We get a reward because our faith is in the perfect one. Also notice in this list, not so much in the beginning there in 32, 33, not 34 and 35, but halfway through 35 it says, well, some were tortured. Some of these people in this list They didn't end with the sword in the air, standing on the land that God had promised them on the mountain, singing hallelujah to God. Others had the exact same thing happen to them. They were the one that had been defeated. They were the ones whose lives ended in torture and in sadness. 
Some suffered mockings and floggings. Some ended, their, their lives were ended in chains and imprisonment. Some were stoned. We looked at this last week. Large rocks hurled at their heads. Some were, listen, sawn in two. And those who escaped those things wandered around in sheepskin and goatskin. They didn't have nice, lovely houses with air conditioning. They lived in the wilderness, some of them even living in rocks and dens and caves of the earth. This is what our brothers and sisters, our forebears, what many of them faced. And so I want you to recognize something else about this faith that we have in Jesus. It doesn't require like instant answers. It doesn't require instant gratification. It doesn't promise that. The second observation of faith this morning is that faith is looking past your circumstances. Faith is looking past your circumstances. I want you to notice that everybody that's on this list today, everybody that's there had some level of faith, some level of believing God's promise, some level of them looking unto Jesus. And yet, many of them on one half of the list seem to be victorious and others totally, utterly defeated. How do we reconcile those two things? Well, faith is looking past our circumstances. The reward of faith is not here in the present. The reward of faith is the end of the race when we run into the arms of Jesus. Think of Acts chapter 7, verse 54 to 58. We've referenced this story a few times, and it's so moving and so vivid. It's the story of the first martyr of the church. It's special to us in that way. It says in Acts 7, verse 54, Now when they heard these things, when they heard the sermon of Stephen... When Stephen preached the gospel and the one who was looking to Jesus called those rebels around him to also look to Jesus, this is what happened. They were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed past his circumstances And he gazed into heaven, and he saw in heaven the glory of God, and he saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And Stephen, in the midst of his circumstances, surrounded by the lions who would devour him in moments, spoke of what he saw, and he declared As a close to his sermon, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. Faith, friends, is looking past our circumstances. It's looking to Jesus past our circumstances. It's exactly what we see happening in the life of Stephen. And so many others here in this chapter, they did the same thing. 
And I want to speak to two groups this morning. And by the way, I don't think any of us here are in danger of being stoned this week. I don't think any of us are in danger of being sawn in two or fed to the lions or to be encircled by a great army with swords and chariots. But there's some here this morning that are suffering. You're on the side of those who feel as though you haven't gotten the promise of God. You haven't received it in the moment here and now, and that's caused you to sort of doubt, maybe even to stumble. But on the other side, there is a group of us this morning who in some ways have received a taste of the blessing of God in our lives. As we, think, as we see here, some of them here in this story, some of, or in this list, some of them suffering greatly and others being blessed. Let me speak first to the sufferers. Sufferers, those who feel as though you don't hear the answers of God in Christ being given to you right now. I want, you to, I want to warn you about that trap of thinking. Remember first that those who are blessed like David or Solomon with some of these blessings that God has promised to us in Christ, they are uniquely tempted to forget to look past their circumstances and to focus on the blessings that they have. And while I'm talking to the sufferers, let me speak to those who consider themselves blessed. Maybe you have been blessed in physical ways. Maybe you have great health, and you should know this, that that health that you've been afforded has at least in part, in some way, been afforded to you by the work of Jesus in, this, in your life. As his sacrifice and his resurrection holds back, staves off the effects of sin in this life, you have received a portion of the blessing of Christ. And yet, you're tempted to forget that. You're tempted to assume that the blessings of health that you have are because of something that you've done or, or earned or altogether unrelated to the work of Christ in your life. Maybe like David, you have experienced the blessing of God and like Solomon, you've experienced the peace of God in your land and it tempts you, it lulls you into a sense of complacency. And in that temptation, in that trial, you forget God like Solomon did. Be warned. And sufferer, notice that you may not have the blessing, you may not have the health, you may not have the house or the car, or whatever it is that you feel would be a blessing, a small blessing of Christ in your life. Notice that one side is just as dangerous as the other. In our suffering, sometimes all we can see is the trial that we're facing and not what God is doing through that trial. And it causes us to forget that this life is not what God has promised us, be it good or bad, but he has promised us joy forevermore, peace with the Father for all of eternity, Jesus said, I go to a place to prepare a place for you that where I am, you can be also. He says, I'm going to a place where you can store up treasures there now. You can make deposits there now. And I'm telling you, moth and rust can't get into that place and destroy your inheritance that I'm setting aside for you and that you can make deposits into. And yet in our trials both of blessing and cursing, as it were, the, the, the highs and the lows, we can forget that this life is not what life's all about. 
We can get angry with each other. Think that one doesn't understand the other. Those who are being tried with blessings and in some sense those who are being tried with trials. We can become frustrated with one another. I think of my childhood. I think of coming home very, very hungry. You can probably relate. Coming into your house and just being attacked with the smells of dinner. The aroma just filling the room, filling the house and Maybe it's your favorite meal. What's your favorite meal that mom used to make? You can smell it. And maybe as you sit on the couch and maybe as you begin to set the table for dinner, you're thinking, I don't know if I could wait any longer. I wish I could just go get a taste of that. There's a a promise that I'm going to get to eat dinner, but I just want it right now. And maybe you look across the room and you see mom allowing your sibling to, uh, to check for poison. Anybody else ever, you know, have that role in the house, that, the, the poison checker, you know, the king's cupbearer that makes sure that, that dinner won't kill anyone? I love that role. But maybe it's not yours that night, and you look across the room and you say, hey, they're getting to lick the spoon. They're getting to taste the meal before it's ready, before it's time. Well, you can bicker and fight. You can feel sorry for yourself, but the reality is, Whether you just get the smell or whether you just get a little taste, brothers and sisters, we've all been promised a seat at the table with King Jesus in the end. This promise that we have been given in Christ, it's only a taste and an aroma here in this life. But in the end, we will sit with him and we won't sit in faith. We will sit and eat in his presence Faith being done away with and sight being what we enjoy. Taste being what we enjoy and reality. I want you to notice something, sufferers, that the victories that Daniel experienced, it wasn't enough to satisfy him. You think, I just, I just feel like I'm always getting destroyed by the lion's den. I feel like I'm always in the, the lion's pit. And I just want to have a little bit of a success story like Daniel and get pulled out of the pit and everybody to be like, yeah, Daniel's God's awesome, or my God's awesome, and the, the mouths of the lions were kind of at, at bay, but maybe you feel like your life is just constantly having the lions circle you and growl and pick at you. Maybe that's where you feel you're at today. I want you to know something about Daniel. Daniel's life wasn't completely satisfied when he got pulled out of that pit and he didn't have a scratch on him. Do you know that? Daniel's life, his faith wasn't finally satisfied. It was only a taste he saw in that moment how powerful his God was, how true his, the promises of his God were to himself. And he said, I just got a taste of the goodness of God and of his promises, and now I just want more. That's true for all of us. It doesn't matter really how difficult or how easy your life has been. The taste and the aroma of the promises of God are just that. They're just a taste of what we have been promised, and we're to look past all of these things and look unto Jesus. It doesn't end when you get pulled from the pit. It doesn't end whenever you defeat the giant, and it doesn't end when you're sawn in two. You let, Christians, we have to look past the present, and we have to look to the promise. Jesus was who they were turning to. Again, as we look in that great Colosseum and we see the brothers and sisters who had suffered so greatly we see that they're not looking at their scars, the scars that they really, truly had. 
They're looking also unto Jesus. Look at their eyes and follow their eyes. Where are they pointing? They're pointing to Jesus. Now, the final point for you this morning is this. There's something about these stories that stir up our faith. They stir up our affections for Jesus even more. And that's point number three. Faith gives way to faith. Faith gives way to faith. What happens in your heart when you hear the story of Daniel in the lion's den? What happens in your heart when you hear the stories of those who were persecuted, even in the intertestamental period, the historical account of what we read in 2 Maccabees, people who could have turned away from following after God, and yet they didn't. They suffered great, great persecution. What happens when we see the incredible faith of others? Well, it stirs up our faith. And that's why we're going to, again, look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. He's racing. The, the preacher is racing to say, I want to tell you about all of these things and all of these people that are in this Colosseum. And he wants us to see in verse 1 of chapter 12, you are literally surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, of those who have received their commendation, those who are looking to Jesus. He's saying, don't forget that you're surrounded by them. It's easy for us to see the brothers and sisters here in the flesh that have surrounded us, but it's also something that we're called to do, to look at the brothers and sisters who have gone before us who are also surrounding us. That's why it's so helpful for us to read the Old Testament. Maybe you're in a Bible reading plan and you find yourself often in, in the, what you might consider in your own heart to be the dry portions of Scripture. There's a reason why God has placed these stories for us. Yes, we, we understand so much about the, the covenant that God has with his people through that New Testament and, and the revelations there of Christ and the fullness. And yet the Old Testament is full of brothers and sisters of faith, as we've seen throughout the last few months as we've looked at Hebrews 11. I referenced the intertestamental period in between the, the time of Malachi and Matthew, still many faithful brothers and sisters who waited on the promises of God and were looking unto Jesus. There's Fox's Book of Martyrs, starting with the earliest martyrs, even to the most recent, being updated on a regular basis. What a great story. What a great collection of stories. That as we read of our brothers and sisters from the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th century, even to the 21st, it stirs up in us as we hear of their great faith in the face of difficulties and danger and even death, how they remain faithful to looking unto Jesus. But it's not just the early years of the history of the church that we see faithfulness looking unto Jesus. We see it in the modern persecuted church. There's a publication called The Voice of the Martyrs that regularly comes out on a monthly basis. There's a website dedicated to uh, highlighting and conveying information on our contemporaries, our brothers and sisters in other countries who are suffering for their faith, but they're remaining faithful. They're continuing to look to Jesus. Some of my favorite, even of, of late here in the 20th century, were Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who while in prison... He preached his last sermon on Easter Day, 1945, in, in Schaumburg, Germany. 
What did he preach on? Well, he preached about Jesus. He, pre- he preached about looking unto Jesus from Isaiah 53 to 1 Peter 1 through 3. And you know what happened? Right after his sermon ended, right after they took communion, the guards come in and they arrest him. They, well, he's already been arrested, but they take him. And they leave Schaumburg and they go to Flossenburg's concentration camp. He travels overnight. The next morning he stands trial. There's no witness on his behalf. He can't even testify of himself. But he's tried for treason and he's ordered to be executed. And the very next morning, just two days after he preached his final sermon there in prison, Bonhoeffer is let out and executed while the Fuhrer is running for his life. man of faith even until the end going back even farther in history how about stories like John Bunyan not Paul Bunyan but John Bunyan in prison for 12 years why because he was faithfully looking unto Jesus and calling the congregation there to do the same and he's in prison for it and and through his imprisonment he produces a book of faith a book that stirs up my faith hundreds of years later and, and stirs up your faith, the Pilgrim's Progress. These sorts of stories as we hear and we see the great cloud of witnesses, we look in the crowd and we see there's Dietrich Bonhoeffer and there's John Bunyan and they're stirring up our faith. What about Richard Wormbrand? 14 years imprisoned, refusing to look away from the face of Christ. Now, I didn't make this count, but more than, I'm told more than 5,600 Christians were, kill, uh, were killed for their faith just last year. Just in 2022, almost 6,000 brothers and sisters have been persecuted for their faith. It's easy for us to be lulled into this sense of complacency, focusing on these little microaggressions and persecutions that we experience. And not to belittle what we face, but brothers and sisters, when we look around the world, when we see this great cloud of witnesses that is ever increasing, we see 5,600 brothers and sisters joining the great throngs that are in that Colosseum, not looking at us, but looking to Jesus. What happens when you hear these stories of faith? What happens when you hear of people who at gunpoint at cost of their life, don't deny Jesus, but remain faithful to the end. And that's not a story of the past, but it's happening right now. Does that not rouse your faith in Christ? It does mine. And that, that leads me to, to offer three ways this morning to have your faith strengthened. Three ways to have your faith strengthened. I've, I've already alluded to some of it, but the first one I want to just give you is this. Spend time with missionaries. Spend time with missionaries. You might say, well, that's really challenging for me to spend time with a missionary. That's kind of the point, Josh. They're not here. They're abroad. Well, that's true. But missionaries, most of them have thumbs. And more than that, they have smartphones. And while they are uh, these great, uh, fearless missionaries, they are people who, just like you, are able to text. And I know that the the brothers and the sisters that I text here and there, although I'm usually texting while they're sleeping and they're responding while I'm asleep, I know that they are encouraged to receive a text from the other side of the world. But even more than them being encouraged, I'm reminded of what great faith it takes to sell what you have here in this life, 
to not look at your circumstances, to not look at your collections and your heirlooms and all your furniture, but to look past those into the face of Christ. Every time I walk into my daughter's, or one of my four daughters' bedrooms, I see a, a, a dresser, a set of drawers that used to be in uh, the, the, the house of one of my dear friends that's serving right now on the other side of the world. And it reminds me that when he and his family decided to go to Asia, they left their belongings behind. And I scarfed a piece of their furniture for myself. And yet, what does God use through that? He uses it as a reminder for me to stir my faith and and love for Jesus and reminds me to look past this piece of furniture and look to the face of Jesus, which is what my dear brother and sister are doing on the other side of the world as I tuck my children in and read them a bedtime story and remind them how much Jesus loves them. Spend time with missionaries and take their furniture when they leave. As an extension of the smartphone and, and them having thumbs, they probably have... FaceTime. And I know that not only would it stir the faith of our, of our missionaries if you asked if you could FaceTime during your family worship or as you gather around the dining room table, but I know it would stir the faith of your children and your own as you talk to a brother and sister who on the other side of the world is finishing up breakfast while you finish up dinner. Keep the missionaries in front of you. Furthermore, even in this own congregation, in our congregation, we have brothers and sisters who have literally traveled the world in short-term and in long-term mission trips. I think of Dan and Joan sitting right here in front of me. Have conversations with them. Ask them about what it took for them. Ask them about what drove them to leave their home behind. Obviously, it was Canada. That's part of the reason they left. But past that, God was stirring in their hearts to look to Jesus and and to call others who don't speak their language to also look to Jesus. Fight Fight to be the family when missionaries come and visit back with us. Fight selfishly to be the family that takes them out to dinner. And if they've already gone to dinner, say, will you go to ice cream with me? Fight to be that family that spends time and has an audience with those who have looked deeply into the face of Jesus. Furthermore, plan to be on mission trips. What a great opportunity to not just encourage, but be encouraged is to jump on a plane and to go to the other side of the world and to bring some packs of Chick-fil-A sauce and some peanut butter from the United States to somebody who can't get those things and be an encouragement. And as you slide those great gifts and those treasures of gold across the table, recognize that you're encouraging those and being encouraged by those who are looking in the face of Jesus. Here's another very specific way that that you can be encouraged in your faith. That is by attending a commissionary service for missionaries. If if you're taking notes, I I want you to write two things down. September 27th, 2023, and November 14th, 2023. Both both of these are commissioning services for missionaries that the International Mission Board, which is an extension of our church, our church on a regular basis, gives a gift to the International Mission Board, and we do that. We say, all of this money, we want to go straight to those who are looking into the face of Jesus. They're, they're looking past their circumstances, and they're calling others to do that. They're commissioned out. There's going to be some commission out on September 27th. We have a part in that. And on November 14th, we have a part in that one as well. 
And you can either go to Richmond and be a part of that commissioning service, or you could log in online at imb.org forward slash send. And on those days, you can watch a commissioning service, which is a worship service. It's a time of reading scripture and of praying that God would bless and use those who we are sending out. These are just a couple practical ways that you can have your faith increased. I know me personally, as I'm sitting in those commissioning services, my faith is in no way diminished. It is in every way encouraged and strengthened. And I know, I know that yours would be too. Life group leaders, I hope you're listening. I hope you wrote those two dates down. That would be an awesome. You're looking for ways to develop community and at the same time, disciple and encourage the faith of those in your life group. What a great opportunity to have a watch party. Turn your, turn your den and your big screen TV into a, a commissioning ceremony. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Those, that's the first way for your faith to be encouraged, brothers and sisters, as we watch other people looking past their circumstances and looking to Jesus. Here's another way. We've already alluded to it a little bit, but it's pray for the persecuted church. Pray for the persecuted church. In the United States, we so often are, have our view of Jesus eclipsed by comfort and by dainties and by ease. And our brothers and sisters around the world, many of them are not afforded that same privilege or temptation. And we would do well to balance this out and in our ease and in our safety and relative comfort for us to beg God to sustain those who through persecution and even in, with threat of sword are looking past that to the face of Jesus. You say, well, how can I do that? Well, I would encourage you to write down another website, voiceofthemartyrs.com. You can just Google that, Voice of the Martyrs. There's a way when you get to their website, you can actually subscribe to be a part of their monthly subscription. We get the magazine regularly here at the church. We get one or two copies, but you could, you could sign up to get your own copy. It could be a part of what you guys do in your families and in your own quiet time as you peruse through that, that periodical and are reminded and led to pray. On Sunday, November 5th, on a, on a global level, the church, many, many churches participating in this have set aside that Sunday as a day to pray for the persecuted church. And, and not just November 5th, but the entire month of November. It'd be a great opportunity again for you to have your own faith encouraged as you remember the faith of those who are being persecuted around the world. And not just to say it in a general way, but to, to latch on to a people group or even to a family or a tribe in some specific location and for your family to adopt them in prayer. And that's the last part of that is to add a focus uh, of the persecuted church in your own personal prayer time or in your family worship. When your family gathers together around the word of God and you pray and you sing, why don't you consider adding into that prayer time a highlight of the persecuted church? Again, you can get resources at, resources at Voice of the Martyr. The last way, we've referenced this before, the last way that I would encourage you to have your faith strengthened and encouraged, your faith which is looking to Jesus, to get that stirred up even more in your life is to read or listen to Christian biography. Read or listen to Christian biography. We talk about that a lot here. It's indispensable in my own faith journey 
that I, on a regular basis, be reminded of those who have gone before me and who now sit in the stands as I run this race. They're looking to Jesus, and I love to look at them because as I look at their life, I see that their lives, in their lives, and even now, they were looking to Jesus and are looking to Jesus. And it encourages my faith. Some of my favorites I've already referenced this morning. I encourage you to consider Dietrich Bonhoeffer or Richard Wormbrandt tortured for Christ. These are great resources. And there's many, many other. Ask any of the other pastors. Ask your life group leader. There's so many good ones out there. Friends, there's a very, very long list. We are indeed surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all with deep and abiding faith. And remember, we want to look at their eyes. Some of you this morning are running and you've forgotten what you were running to. You were for, you forgot maybe what you were running for. Look at their eyes. Who are they looking at? They are intently gazing at Jesus. But what about you? You're not, you're not in the car. You're not walking into the kitchen. You've been chasing after Jesus, and now you've, you've forgotten that. And your eyes have been drawn to something else, something lesser, something circumstantial, something in the immediate right now. Maybe it's a difficulty that you face. It's outside of yourself, and it's bogging you down. Or maybe it's your own failures. You can't see past the mistakes that you've made years ago or yesterday. And instead of looking to Jesus, you're looking at yourself. Maybe you're looking at your missed opportunities like Gideon. And again, you're forgetting the promises of God being yes and amen in Jesus. Maybe you're looking at your own health or the lack of your health. Or maybe you're on the other side. Maybe instead of these physical difficulties or spiritual difficulties, emotional challenges, maybe you're actually looking at your collections Maybe you're looking at your own victories. Maybe you're looking at your accomplishments. And all of these things have begun to crowd out and to sort of eclipse your view of Jesus to where you can't actually see those things anymore. Maybe it's the ease of your life and it's tempted you to live life for yourself and and to still garner from this life of Jesus and faith in Jesus the moral blessings and yet none of the spiritual obligations. Maybe just... The lesser promises have drawn your gaze away from Jesus. I would challenge you this morning. I would challenge you this morning to turn again your eyes to Jesus. And I would say this too. You you need the faith of others. We've seen that. I love this way that this passage ends. In verse 40 it says, Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Here's kind of the point. We've all gotten varying levels of taste of of the promise of God that's cooking in this pot. Some of us have gotten a better taste than others. And yet, none of us will sit down at that meal until we're all come together. And, And we needed them in our lives. We needed these people that had gone before us. We need them. But I also want you to notice that there's, so, there's those around you that need you now. And they're not in the crowds yet. They're actually running behind you. And maybe they're sitting behind you. Maybe they're sitting in the pew next to you. Or maybe they're sitting in the pew in front of you. 
And here's what they need from you, brother, sister. They need you to look to Jesus. They need you to, in your pain, look past your circumstances and look to Jesus. They need you in your blessing to not let the things of this world bog you down and and, and drag you down, but to look past all of your blessings and your difficulties to Jesus. They need to hear you sing. They need to hear you read scripture. Children don't need their parents to be perfect. Children need their parents to have faith in the perfect one, despite the good days and despite the bad days. Church, that's what we're doing here, and that's, that's why we sing together. That's why we read together. That's why we pray together. That's why we gather in D groups. That's why we gather in life groups. That's why we come to the table together, and we wait for one another, and we don't say, hey, do this at home or do this as life groups. We say we come together to be reminded of the spiritual promises that God has given to us, promised us in Jesus Christ. Wait for each other. Encourage one another. Through tears, through scars, through blessings of physical nature, look to Jesus. Friends, faith is looking past your present circumstances under the future promise of Jesus. I want to just invite everybody to take a moment now and to just reflect on that. I want you to just, if you can, if it helps, would you close your eyes and just, just think about this? Maybe through, maybe through this week, maybe through the last year, you have gotten distracted and you've taken your eyes off of Jesus. Maybe even as we've walked through Hebrews 11, you've forgotten what all of this was pointing towards. I just want to give you an opportunity to refocus your affections, refocus your gaze to Jesus. That's who we're looking towards. And as you do that, would you prepare your heart to receive together from this table? That's exactly what communion is. Communion is a time of us saying, we're going to stop and we're going to refocus our attention, not on the circumstances of this life. We're going to focus our attention on Jesus. And as you do, as we take communion, as you think about that, as you prepare your heart, I want you to think about not just who's sitting in the aisle across from you and not just think about who's sitting on your pew, in your pew, but to think past that, to think past the ages of time of all those who by faith also looked unto Jesus. Today, in some small way, we get a little taste of the promises of God. We're reminded through the aroma that's here at this table. But that calls our attention to the promise that we have that one day with David and Daniel and Abraham and the saints who founded First Baptist Church and your sweet grandma who's gone on to be with the Lord and your children who have prayed in humility to be forgiven of their sin and they've claimed the promises of God and Christ where all of us will gather together in that final day and we'll receive from King Jesus' table. So take a moment and think of your own life. Think of your own gaze right now.
few moments ago, we sang grace greater than our sin. I want to read again for you that last verse. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. Christian, if that's you, remember right now that the grace of God in the face of Christ was freely given to you by faith. You accessed it by faith. It was freely given to you. And if you're not a Christian this morning, I want you to pay a special attention to this next line. It says, all who are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? I want you to know that that invitation is open for you now. For you to receive that grace, to look to Jesus' face, to look past your failures, your successes, everything. Look past it into the face of Christ. Look past it to this table. This table reminds us that Jesus' death quenches God's wrath and pays for our sins. This table reminds us that Jesus' shed blood cleanses our grimy hands and washes our filthy hearts by faith. This table reminds us that Jesus' resurrection secures a new life for us after death and even now a present victory over sin. And so Christian the one who for the first time wants to look to the face of Jesus, this is what Jesus promises us. And this is what this table reminds us of. I do want to give a word of warning. If you're here this morning and you say, I, I don't yet believe that. I want you to know we're here to walk with you to the place where you can say, I understand what it means to look into the face of Jesus and I've done that. We want, we want to walk with you. But if you're not there yet, I want to ask you to abstain from the elements this morning. If that's you this morning, you say, I just, I'm not there yet. I want to encourage you to let these things pass. They're physical reminders of a spiritual reality. And you have nothing to gain this morning that you don't already have apart from Christ. Furthermore, if you're, if you're not a baptized believer, if you're not committed to your local church and I'm going to ask you again to abstain until in pure faith, walking with brothers and sisters, walking in obedience to the Lord's commands, you can come and receive from this table as well. So we've taken a moment. We've examined our hearts. We've asked God to, to reveal to us from Scripture where it is we need to repent and begin again to look to Jesus. And I just want to thank God now that he's done that. Remember, every prayer that we pray in the name of Jesus, it's yes and amen. And so let's give God thanks now for that. Father, we do, in fact, thank you that when we pray in the name of Jesus, you hear our prayers and you answer them. God, we recognize that what we do at this table, what it symbolizes is heavy and at the same time, we recognize that it is a moment of joy because you're no longer dead. And nor are you angry with us, but you demonstrated your love and you remind us of that love by these elements. So we celebrate your love. And Jesus, we look to your face now, the face of the one 
who Stephen saw, full of joy, full of glory, at the right hand of the Father and seated. Your work is finished. So we give you thanks. We pray a blessing on this small meal. We pray a blessing on this aroma. We pray a blessing on this taste of the promise that we will one day not look for by faith, but receive in sight. And Jesus, we ask it all in your name. Amen. Amen.